and it, it was just great. Matthew chapter 18, forgiving others. How many of you would say I have a difficult time forgiving people? Thank you for your honesty. I'm just going to go ahead and raise both my hands. And I think I'm learning in my life that uh, it is difficult. But I think in, in order for us to have freedom and victory in Christ, we must forgive. We must have freedom in our life and, and realize that bitterness starts to take place and take residence in our life when we don't forgive. Jesus' message to his disciples was always forgive one another. And we're still dealing with that today. Listen to this, a little girl's prayer. A little girl was being punished by eating alone in the corner of the dining room. The family paid no attention to her until they heard her pray. I thank thee, Lord, for preparing a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Or would you be more like the woman who was bitten by a rabid dog and it looked like she was going to die from rabies. The doctor told her to put her final affairs in order. So the woman took her pen and paper and began writing furiously. In fact, she wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. Finally, the doctor said, that sure is a long will you're making. She snorted. Will, nothing. I'm making a list of all the people I'm going to bite. You guys are tired, aren't you? Do I have to read that again? Okay. <laughs> there was a widow who had rest and peace put on her husband's tombstone. When she found out that he left her out of his will, she then had added, till I come. <laughs> we begin this morning with the knowledge that Jesus had commanded us to forgive we add to that our general belief that forgiveness is a good thing. But then when we get into the actual situation where our heart has been stomped on and our emotions have been ripped to shreds, we need a little extra encouragement. It helps us in that moment not simply to know that we are supposed to forgive, but why forgiveness is the course that we want to take when we are in those hard situations where forgiveness is unnatural, why should we forgive? Matthew 18, 7 says, and you can see it in your Bible, woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must need be that offenses come. But woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. Read with me, if you would, please, in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. And it reads, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Isn't that amazing? Go ahead, Pastor. I need you to read that again because that is just amazing to me. Okay, I will. And it says in verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. 
That means as a Gentile and a tax collector. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am in the midst of them. There I am in God's presence. I start off by saying this to you. I hate going to people. I'm just telling you straight up. I hate that when there's an offense, I've got to go to that person. Would you say amen? Amen. It's uncomfortable. Last thing I want to do is go to somebody and say, I've been offended or I've been hurt over this, but the Scripture clearly states that if thy brother hears thee, you've gained a brother. It doesn't say you've gained a friend. It doesn't say you've gained an acquaintance. You've gained a brother. What we have a hard time believing in our walk today is, I just can't say anything and I'm not going to say anything because if I say something, then I'm going to gain an enemy. Church, it's time you realize that when you share your heart with somebody, why don't you just listen, take it in, chew it up, and swallow it. In America today and in our family circles, we don't want to be approached. We're unapproachable. We sit and say we're Christians, but we're unapproachable. We need to learn what forgiveness is about. And we need to learn that when you go to somebody, in order to gain thy brother, just sit and listen and love that person. Nurture that person. I have to tell you, it irritates a fire out of me that if I have to deal with something in a way of an offense, that as soon as you say something to them, they roll over, jump out of their chair, get on the floor, grab their passy, stick it in their mouth, and start kicking and screaming and screaming, You all act like I'm the only one who's ever had to deal with an offense in here. You're looking at me like a deer in headlights. You know, you've seen it. We deflect. Instead of saying, you're right, I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? Woo! What does that do? That releases the person from the offenses. We have such a difficult time doing that. Not realizing that God wants all of us free. The Bible says, iron sharpeneth iron. So if you rub both of them together, it's very difficult. But if you want to live a life of victory, and as it says in His Word, if you want to be loosed, you hear what I'm saying? Whatsoever shall be loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow. Isn't things so practical? Let's have an altar call. Oh, not yet. It is so simple. But it's oftentimes that we will not embrace what offenses are about. Now, let, let's, let's give another little scenario. Let's not go to somebody because you have an offense because you want your way. But if something is bothering you, deal with it. But deal with it out of love. And that's when you go to that dear brother or sister, friend, co-worker, husband, wife. Listen, 
The same principle, Jesus is not just speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to marriages. Communicate. Talk to one another. It helps. You know what it does? It helps to heal. And I would love to see more than anything. When God starts to bring people together, what's it saying in that last verse? Who's in the midst of it? God. Wow. The presence of God. But after Mr. Crybaby gets done putting his binky in his mouth and kicking and screaming and rolling around on the floor, God's not a part of that. Because that's self-centeredness. That's selfishness. John says, I believe it's diatrephes disease. We don't, we don't need to be on the floor kicking and screaming. We need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In churches today, and I hear it from pastors, from my pastor friends, if people would just deal with offenses and speak their heart and their mind and deal with it out of love and say, can I hug you? Can I love you? Then guess what? We'd have churches to overflowing. But here's what happens even in my place as a pastor. Well, hello, pastor. I love you, Pastor Todd. Until I have to go to somebody and deal with an offense. Then all of a sudden it turns to, my name isn't pastor any longer, it's Todd. And they don't want to hear the ought that I have with a brother or that somebody else has. And the Bible says if they don't hear, you take two or three witnesses. And if they still don't hear, you bring it before the church. But let's keep it a secret. But they've never repented. See, what we've done is we've taken matters in our own hands in churches. We've taken matters in our own hands in our own family. And guess what? I don't know about you, but I know about me. And I want God in the presence of every bit of reconciliation and restoration in everybody's life. And that's what the scripture says. That the presence of God is there. See, we, miss, we, we leave that important element out of the configuration of making restitution. I sound like a doctor, don't I? <laughs> but the reality is, we must learn to forgive. And this morning, I'm going to give you five reasons on forgiving others and helping you to live a life of victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I just pray that today we'll take your word and talk about a sensitive subject, an issue that helps the family to grow closer. So, Father, we thank you for your presence here today. We welcome you into this sanctuary. And, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to grow your church, but yet grow us as individuals as we grow in the grace of and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In your precious name I pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. Forgiveness acknowledges that there was a wrong committed. I want you to look in your Bible, if you would please, to verses 21 through 35. I love this story, I want you to listen. Because Jesus is speaking here on forgiveness. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. One day I told Becky, well, I've done all I can. I think it's been 490 times I've forgiven the guy and that's it, I'm done. 
I know, we all do our math. No, God's really, Jesus is saying here, you know what, continue to forgive. Therefore, is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. Love this story. And when he had begun reckon, when he had begun to settle the accounts, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not paid him, he did not give them, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. See, back in the time, if you did not pay your master, if you were working for somebody and there was restitution to be paid, your family, even if you were put in prison, your family would actually have to work off that debt. Isn't that amazing? Your wife and your children would have to work off that debt until you would be released. And uh, verse 25, For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him. You know what that word worshipped actually means there? He fell down prostrate, 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 prostrate. That is not going to go prostrate. Sorry, it's early for me in the morning too. Fell down prostrate before him and bowed his head and pleaded his cause before his Lord. And always notice in Scripture too, that's a small L. It's not talking about the Lord of Lords. So he said, And worship, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and released him and forgave him of the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, which is denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me, you scoundrel, all that you owe me. Are mighty. That's not really what it says. It says, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. He would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Wow. Isn't that amazing? So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came, unto, and, came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest me, because thou begged and pleaded with me. Shouldest not thou also had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was angry, he was wroth, and delivered him to the tormentors, till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Some people are quick to discount the idea of forgiveness because they think it's a type of pretending and nothing happened. It's no big deal. Oh, don't worry about it. It's just going to go away. We'll get better as time goes on, etc. Actually, that's not true at all. When you honestly confront the idea of forgiveness, that very act puts you in a place where you are acknowledging the wrong that was done. Something that's bad enough to need forgiven. So forgiveness is not acting as if a wrong was not that important. Forgiveness is confrontation. Forgiveness requires admitting that a serious wrong was done against you. 
And it says in verse 15, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass thee against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he hears it, you've gained a brother. Number two, forgiveness changes your status from the victim to the victor. So we, we realize that one, even in the stories Jesus was saying, that we must acknowledge that there was a wrong that was committed. Would you agree? Amen. And then second of all, we now realize that forgiveness changes your status from victim to victor. When someone does something hurtful to us, we are the victim of their meanness and of their thoughtfulness, thoughtlessness. We sometimes believe that there's nothing we can do about our victim status, but that's not true. When we forgive, we are no longer powerless. We're no longer the one who has merely been acted upon. When we forgive, we boldly stand and we boldly say, you will not dictate the way I respond. You will not dictate who I am. See, Jesus' words in Matthew 5. Turn, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, verses 39 through 41. The forgiving nature of those actions take power away from the one who would dictate our place. Verse 39, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil that you resist not an evil person, but whosoever shall smite thee or slap thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. I'm going to keep reading. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Because God's word says, and you've heard it said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But it says here, if he asks of your coat, you give him your cloak also. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King says in the Civil Rights Movement. movement. They represented one of the clearest examples of Jesus found here in Matthew chapter 5. Here was the principle in action, and here's what took place. As they endured the southern sheriff's clubs, and they were beaten, and the water cannons, without resorting, were blown on them, without resorting to violence themselves, the evil of the segregationist's heart was brought to light. There was an enormous power in refusing to respond to the violence in the way they were expected to with more violence. Dr. King wrote, To our most bitter opponents, we say, We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. Do you hear what that says? He says, To our most bitter opponents, we say, We shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. Oftentimes, we end up becoming the victim. And then all of a sudden, we realize that, no, wait a minute here. I'm going to become the victor. I'm going to live a life of victory. I'm going to learn what it's like to endure some suffering. Did Christ endure suffering for you and me? Did Christ endure the cross for you and me? But we will not suffer 
a day for him. Number three, forgiveness makes sense for people who have needed, do need, and will need forgiveness. We like to focus on the immediate situation and dwell on the wrong done to us. We often devise harsh and merciless responses to those who hurt us. But if we look at the larger situation, we're not only the one to whom wrong has been done, we're also often the one who has done wrong to others. We best consider the parable that Jesus told following the words of our text this morning. In particular, consider for a moment the fearsome reality that he said in verse 39. If somebody smites you on the cheek, turn to him the other. Hmm. Consider another example. The words of Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 that says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God has no tolerance for the person who is quick to receive forgiveness from God, but then is unwilling to forgive the one who wrongs him. When we wronged, when we are wronged, often our first reaction is to get even. Said Jesus said we should do good to those who wrong us. Our desire should not to be our desire should not be to keep score, but to love and to forgive. This is not natural. It is supernatural. A couple weeks ago I put on the, the sign out front, I've often regretted my speech, seldom my silence. I've often regretted my speech, seldom my silence. Only God can give us the strength to love as He does. Instead of planning vengeance, pray for those who hurt you. kind of reminds me of this story. A few years ago, there was a, a story about a man and somebody very dear and close to us. You probably saw it in the papers. Husband and wife were going to their, their child's ball game. As they were traveling to the ball game, they, it was packed and there was a lot of activity going on in this parking lot and, and it's all happened to us. You pull in the parking lot and as you pull in, somebody then ends up taking your spot, right? Does that make you mad? I just want to know. You've been sitting there for a minute and a half and they just whip it in there and they don't care. Kind of like last night when we went to the parade there in Talmadge, we were looking and looking and looking for spots Finally made a spot. Glad it was open there for us. Said Pastor Todd and his family. and So we just whipped it over there and made a spot right on the side of the road. Didn't say we couldn't park there. So we figured we'd park there. And uh, came back and praised the Lord. The car was still there. That was a blessing in itself. But unfortunately what happened was is that as this family was waiting, people pulled in. The wife became belligerent. Lost control. She's screaming and yelling in their SUV. She gets out of the SUV. She walks up to the man, and he finally pulls over. He stops the car, and he tells his wife, would you just settle down? The man, they start um, yelling profanity to one another. As they do that, then an altercation starts to take place, and it took one hit. The husband said, honey, you need to be quiet, told the man, just go ahead and be quiet. He was trying to be a mediator as the man took his fist and cocked him right here in the temple and killed him. And I'll never forget, as I was sitting there with his father, Dick, and he was just saying, 
my son was always such a good boy. And he was in his 30s, early 30s at that time. We realized then, what happens when you take matters in your own hands? I had to look at him and say, you know, Dick, you're going to have to learn forgiveness. You're going to have to learn what forgiveness is about. And in order for you to become free from the bitterness that you have towards your family, you're going to have to learn to forgive yourself. So we realize that forgiveness makes sense for people who have needed or do need and will need to forgive. We must learn to forgive those who have caused problems with us. Number four, forgiveness is the only road to freedom. We should acknowledge this morning that forgiveness is risky. It is a bit of a gamble, but it certainly beats the other options. Lewis Smead writes, The question is not whether forgiving is dangerous, but only whether it is a safer bet. It is almost always comes down to where we get the best odds. Forgiving is risky. The risk, I believe, is worth taking. Forgive people. Forgiveness does have its risks, but our only other choice, our only other road is to hold on to the bitterness and the anger that we have. How many this morning could say to someone whose life has been ruined simply because they continue to hold on to a wrong done to them? Have you seen that? The bitterness just continues to grow and infestate. I always say bitterness just comes up within us like poison ivy. It just wraps around our insides and starts to squeeze the life out of us. God wants us to be free. Consider the following two words of wisdom. Here's an old Chinese proverb. Whoever opts for revenge should dig two graves. Did you text Pat? Not forgiving someone is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. You hear me? Not forgiving someone is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. Forgiveness is risky, but it is the only road to freedom. The other road always leads to self-destruction. And I really believe that in our life we've got to learn that we want to be free. How many of you would say, today I want to be free? You know, in, in our lives, I realize, and some of you will say, but I have forgiven them. Well, praise God. I didn't say you had to go over there and, and have tea with them. I said you need to forgive them. And that will help you. See, victory is about you, about you and your relationship with the Lord. And that's what God wants for you. See, Satan wants to hold that and keep you in bondage. And then the last point, forgiveness is not Jesus' suggestion. You hear what I'm saying? Forgiveness is not Jesus' suggestion. It's Jesus' commandment. Matthew 18 says this, and numerous other passages make it clear that forgiveness is Jesus' command. It's His commandment. As we consider these various reasons this morning, I hope they've inspired you as to why forgiveness is the wise choice. But at the end of the day, for the obedient Christian, it isn't simply the wisest choice. It is your only choice. I want you to be free. Say this with me. I am free. I am free. Man, what a great feeling. 
And victory comes when you realize that pain and hurt and disappointment can all be traded in and God the Father comes and bestows His characteristics, His attributes in your life and then you can live in victory. Because so often, and I'm going to tell you this, people have left this church because I didn't let them know about somebody wearing Heelys. Are you kidding me? I have to look at my wife and go, I hope I don't run into them at a restaurant. They're mad at me because I didn't let them know their kids could wear Heelys. And that's a true story. Let's get back to simplicity here, folks, okay? Why are we here? To grow into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to conclude this morning. And oftentimes, I give you a little story. And I bring it home to let you understand what freedom is and what victory is. I was sitting in my office last evening and I said to, uh, as I was studying, and the Lord said to me, I want you to call somebody and ask them to give a closing thought on what is freedom, forgiveness, and victory all about? Some of you sitting in this room and some of you ladies have heard this story. But I've asked Patty for the next ten minutes as she closes my thoughts and then we'll come back out and close out the service. I want her to come And I want her to speak to you about what's happened in her life and what forgiveness has done and freed her from from some of the bondage she's loosed now, as the Scripture says. She's free. God bless you. Good morning, everybody. Mark 11.25 And when ye stand praying, forgive, if ye have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Luke 6:37 Forgive and ye shall be forgiven. Luke 11:4 From the Lord's Prayer and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 2 Corinthians 2:10 To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. Ooh, that one got to me. As well as Luke 23:34 When Jesus is on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. These verses and the 96 verses in the Bible about forgiveness are what I studied and studied and studied for four months solid from December 2004 to February 20th, 2005, when I acted on forgiveness. On February 20th, 2005, it was a Sunday, I said to my husband George, come on, we're going to Holy Cross Cemetery so I can forgive my dad. It was a very cold day and it was snowing like crazy outside. When we got there, I could not find his grave. I could always find it easily enough before, but I just laughed as I thought about Isaiah 41:12 NIV. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. For I considered my dad an enemy. So finally I said, Uncle John and Uncle Louie, I forgive you. But this is not about you. This is about you, Dad. I accuse you of ten years of extreme abuse. There's mild, moderate, severe, very severe, and extreme. I screamed and yelled at him that day. Let me recount briefly for you those 10 years. 
It was not until I was 14 and then around 44 years old when I was in therapy that I learned about the type of abuse that I went through. It was actually from the beliefs from a group of nomadic gypsy-like people from Eastern Europe and Russia whose main belief was that the purpose of a female was to serve and please men on demand in an instant's notice without rebellion and with perfection. This was taught at a very young age, and for me, it started when I was four years old. Instead of going to the zoo to celebrate my fourth birthday, we went to the woods where I had my first sexual encounter, age four. I was told that the animals I saw in the zoo that day, and get this, pigs, cows, horses, dogs, elephants, and monkeys, and in that order. When I was 21, I went to the Akron Zoo, the Cleveland Zoo, the Toledo Zoo, the Columbus Zoo, and the Cincinnati Zoo because most of those animals are farm animals, and I didn't know the difference. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, at age five, I was put in lockdown, and in years following, I would also be locked in, locked down, and locked out and locked up. This belief system involved perfection in which everything had to be said and done in a certain way and in a certain order, and I would have to act out these various animals, complete with collars and prods that go along with them. Of course, I could never quite do it right, so that was followed by punishment. Potions was a part of it, and that was drugs and alcohol, and sealing ceremonies, which occurred at ages 8 and 11, and then at age 14, which I didn't do. It included a sorcerer and witches who did black magic and put all sorts of evil creatures inside of me, and I was made to swear allegiance to them even from the grave. I found escape from my grandmother and my brother Joe. My grandmother taught me to read books, and I would take pictures of them. I can't do it anymore, but I would, like, take a picture of the page. And when she could, I would spend the night with her, and then we would hide in the Highland Square Library all day. I think it is rather funny that while I had to repeat 5.2 million times that I was done, dumb, stupid, worthless, and a whole slew of really bad words, that I'm actually really smart. I found that out in therapy. My brother Joe and I made up characters so that I could enter into a fantasy world to offset the pain. I would also do complicated math in my head, like what is 999 times 999. I would think about the books in my head, like the little train that could, A Wrinkle in Time, and a book about Albert Schweitzer, who was my hero, and rearrange words in my head while I waited for my dad and two uncles to finish playing poker, drinking, and smoking cigars in the Sugar Shack Hotel motel on Manchester Road while I was locked up like a dog in a cage or like the pig or the cow or whatever the animal of the day was. At age 14, I refused to go through the final sealing ceremony. There were 10 years of anger that came out of me that day. It was on that day that my dad, I saw my dad see his horror of what he had done. And he actually intervened for the ceremony not to take place. And that was the last time. And I was a bloody, bloody mess. For the next 11 years, I partied and was very promiscuous. I was also on the honor roll and worked, worked, worked so that I could hide all of this in being busy, busy, busy. At 25, I was saved. At 27, I had my son Nathan. And at 30, I married George. My family, George, Jimmy, and Stella, and Sammy at the time, Billy and Nathan were very supportive and helpful. I would not have made it without them and my support system. 
At 35, my brother Joe, my childhood hero, died of AIDS. And I wasn't getting over his death at all. All of a sudden, everything started to unravel like a sweater. It was like just a pulling. And no matter what I did, nothing was going right or the way it used to go. At 37, I went completely numb and dead on my left side. And none of the 20-plus neurological, heart, blood, all those kinds of tests showed anything physically wrong. So they recommended that I go to therapy. And I used to walk around with my arm in my shirt and pull my leg along because I couldn't feel it. So, being the overachiever that I am, I went to therapy two or three times a week, and I had two different therapists. I put my career aside because I couldn't do it. If you compress that time, Becky and I figured it out, that total comes to three years and four months of doing nothing but being in therapy. In therapy, we made a timeline. We made groupings of the type of violence. We looked at each self-defense mechanism I had used. I was constantly in a state of everything being surreal or off. Then slow, everything was in slow motion. So if something somewhere took you 10 minutes to go to, it would take me 30 minutes, something that was slow. Then I'd get really hot, then really cold. Then would come the anger and rage, then the tears, and then would come the actual looking at each act or groupings or age from an adult perspective and finding there were always four things. The number four was everywhere. Something good from the bad, some truth from the lies, something pretty from the ugly, and something beautiful from the whore. When this process was done, then I could let it go. So every time I let something go, I actually felt lighter, and I felt as though my brain was rearranging. This process was very painful, and when you are looking at hell, because I figure I grew up in hell, and saying to the devil, you give me back my brain, my heart, my life, my sanity, my feeling, my innocence, my childhood, and everything you took from me. And when you're doing that, it, it spreads out over everything and everybody. So my whole family was going through this darkness with me. I almost did not make it so many times. Total therapy took seven years and four months. After four months of studying about forgiveness, I forgave my dad. I accused him of all the wrong that had occurred during those ten years. I said, yet for all of that, there are four things that you did right. You've got to really pull at strings on some of these. Um, first, you gave me life. Second, you saw your whore because that changed him. Third, you intervened, even though it was kind of late. And fourth, you stopped. And you didn't do my sister Barbara. She was next in line for this process. Those four reasons wipe out all those acts and those ten years. And for those four reasons, I forgive you. You no longer have power on me from the grave. And I am not a victim anymore. And so I said, bye, honey, see you later. i got to go to work. And so for the first time in seven years and four months, I actually got to work early. I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. So I was standing outside looking at the snow. And little did I realize the power of that forgiveness. That one act of forgiveness has completely changed me and my entire world. When I went to work, I was early. All of a sudden, the invisible hand of God came down from heaven reached down and pulled this darkness out of me. I 
felt it pull right out. And the first thing I noticed was how white the snow was. I was like, wow, that is some bright-looking snow. Is it always that white? This is what I'm thinking to myself. And then the second thing that happened, I think this is so funny too, is that a yellow car pulls in the driveway. Now, how many yellow cars do you see seriously? There's not a yellow car in the driveway. But, oh, no, there was a yellow one, and I remember thinking, that is one bright yellow car. Wow, wee, that is bright. It was as though I had been wearing sunglasses my whole life. I slept all through the night for the first time in my life without cocooning in the sheets. I used to cocoon the sheets. I would wake up every day and something was different. And it took me three months to realize that I was not waking up afraid. I was not waking up going, (gasps) and still I had to practice breathing. I I don't breathe really good. It also took me three months to realize that I had joy. And just recently, I've been experiencing what I call joy plus. Can you believe it? I have more joy. (laughs) I laugh at the Lord. I go, really? You're giving me more joy? (laughs) I know for sure that when you look at me today and all this joy that comes out of me, because I have a hard time even sitting still sometimes. I want to leap out and jump for joy. It is difficult to believe that I experienced all those horror of horrors. But I am free of it all, and I have victory, and I'm no longer a victim. That is what forgiveness does. It frees you from that person. It cuts it off. And so you're not dragging all this weight. You're not dragging the generations with you. You're not dragging your family with you. You're not dragging that person with you. You are cut free. It is freedom. And so I mark February 20th, 2005 as my day of freedom, and it is a marking point that is probably the most important marking point other than the day that I accepted the Lord because you can't forgive without him. You can't do anything without him. Forgiveness leads to receiving and knowing the true meanings of the words from Galatians 5.22. And I would pray this all the time. Let me know your meaning of the word love. Let me know what your meaning of the word peace is. What is long-suffering? I want to know what that means. What is gentleness? Make me gentle. I don't want to be violent. I want to be the exact opposite of what I grew up with. What does goodness mean? Really, what does that mean to be a good person and to do good things? What is faith? Give me the faith of a mustard seed. What is meekness? What is temperance? I want to know what all those words are, Lord, and I want you to give them to me because I wasn't raised in it, and I want to know what it is. And guess what? When you pray for that and you pray for wisdom, he gives it to you. Amen. It's really cool. Then the Lord gave me Psalm 31.8 from NIV. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. And that is with Jesus and with everybody in this church, too. Because right after that, I started coming here. Through all this, I have kept hold of Isaiah 38:17. says, Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. And now I start seeing the good that has come out of all that bad. Amen. I also know that the Lord has given me Joel 125. And I will restore to you the years that the locust have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. He will restore what that person has taken from you. If you have a tugging on your heart, if your head hurts, if your stomach is aching, because that's what always would happen to me when somebody would talk about 
forgiveness and being free, then you are being convicted to forgive someone of something. It doesn't have to be big like mine, and don't minimize it. The Lord went, the devil wants you to go, oh, that was no big deal. That's so little. Heck, some of you are dealing with things that are as big as an elephant, and you're trying to hide it and decorate it. That's what we did in our family. We decorated our elephant, and we worked around it so it wasn't even in the room. Don't minimize the hurt and pain and betrayal that somebody did to you. But you need to forgive. It is a commandment. Because notice in those first verses, it's a two-way street. The Lord will forgive you when you forgive somebody else. So he wants you to be free. You will forever be trapped if you don't forgive. It leads to destruction, and it is a sin to not forgive. If you can't forgive on your own, then run, 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 run to therapy. Because they're trained for four years, six years, eight years, a lot of them, depending on how far they've gone in the whole human psyche. And I could have never made it without them. I feel as though I leapfrogged and made a lot of progress with their help. They know all about human behavior and the games that people play. And they will lead you to that process of forgiveness if you can't do it on your own. And when you look at me, everybody goes, wow, you're so happy. You're so It's joy. And I really try to live Jesus, others, yourself. I really Amen. ask the Lord every day. And I really want to skip around and dance all the time. Because on that day of forgiveness, that hold left. It, it went completely Hallelujah. 100% away. That is the power of forgiveness. It is a major marker. In my life, February 20th, 2005. Amen. Thank you. I think of a verse, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and then you'll dwell in the house of the Lord. That's forgiveness. And maybe you've been dealing with something today where you just can't let go and let God Amazing story. You don't realize what people go through until you hear a story of, of pain and suffering. But realize just what God will do when forgiveness takes place in your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we stand. Our precious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word today. Father, we thank you for the words that were uttered from the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, we realize that forgiveness acknowledges that there was a wrong committed. That forgiveness changes our status from victim to victor. And that forgiveness makes sense for people who have needed, do need, and will need forgiveness. And Father, we realize, as Patty said, forgiveness is the only road to freedom. And that is just not a suggestion but it's a commandment. Father, help us to not be hindered, to be separated from the love, from the fellowship, from the relationship that we can have with you and with others. But Father, we pray that today, no matter who it is and what walk of life they're in, that Father, they can have the joy of their salvation.
and realize what true forgiveness is about. Father, we ask this in your name. Bless your people. Lead us to the cross. Help us. Father, as we grow closer to thee, in your name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to sing an old-fashioned hymn called Just As I Am.